All right, thanks. Good morning, everyone. This is Stephanie Pack from Redeeming Love Church in Gamel, and I am here to uh, take this date for Brother John. And so I want to welcome everyone, everyone here and everyone who will watch the Facebook Live. And so we're going to start in John chapter 6 this morning. That's John chapter 6. And we're going to look in verse 35 first. So John chapter 6, verse 35. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. I may give you some others, but that's the one that we're going to be using today. So we'll actually start in... Verse 30. Now, this is this whole entire section that begins with verse 22. Um, it's talking about the bread of life. And verse John, or John 6, 35 is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So everybody repeat after me. I am, I am the, bread of life. the bread of life. This is Jesus saying. He's making a very declarative statement. He's declaring who he is or part of who he is, his character and everything that he does. And so we're going to take a look at that today and everything that comes through that. So if we're looking at 35, Jesus just replied. Now, the very verse before, they asked Jesus, sir, give us that bread every day. Because just before that, in verse 32, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, which we're referencing manna from the wilderness after the children of Israel left Egypt. And Jesus himself says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now, current, he, the father, offers you the true bread from heaven. So remember, we look at the Old Testament as types and shadows. So Jesus himself is referencing Moses, the children of Israel, the wilderness. And obviously at this time, not only would they have heard it in synagogue, but everyone knew the miracle that God had done for the children of Israel in the wilderness. Even the people of Jericho had heard about the miracles that the God of the Israelites, everything that he had performed for them. And remember, he not just dropped bread out of heaven, manna. He also dropped quail. He dropped meat for them every single day. And so Jesus is now saying, and now God the Father offers you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus is likening himself to not only just bread, but the true bread. So something set apart. It says the true bread of God is the one. So we're not talking about physical bread. He's referencing himself. So this true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And all of his disciples and everyone around said, Sir, this is the kind of bread we want, and we want it every day. They're still thinking about manna dropping, physical manna dropping from heaven, and they would eat what they needed that day. It would spoil, and they would get new and fresh the next day. So even though he's saying 
this true bread from heaven, they're thinking completely in the natural. There's nothing spiritual in their thought process. They're just thinking, fill my belly. I want the really good stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but I love bread. You guys like bread? Yes. And something about bread is that it's simple. I mean, even though there are so many different kinds of bread, it's something that's universal. Every culture has some form of bread. It's commonplace. It sustains life. It's basic. So they're, say they're saying, feed us like that every single day. And Jesus then says... Okay, in case you didn't get it, I was trying to tell you, I am the bread of life. And he says, this bread of life gives life to the world. So he's trying to help them make that transition of looking to him as that life-giving bread, the true bread from heaven. Not just manna that if you keep it too long is going to spoil, not manna that they recognize from heaven, but it's just to sustain them. It's provision for them. It fills their bellies. But he's saying, I am the bread of life that I just told you about. So I started thinking about that and thinking about bread, and I started thinking about life. Now, we know there's a difference. God brings life, and the opposite is true. Satan has death for us, life and death. And we know that we can affect that by things as if that we're taught in the Old Testament that life and death are in the power of the tongue. But there's nothing in life that smacks of death and nothing in death that smacks of life, if you know what I mean. Like, you can't have one and the other at the same time. It's either or. So let's take a look back at John chapter 1. So just turn back a few pages. And Jesus is once again pushed forward, and placed forward as life. And this is the first book of John, and we usually hear this at Christmas time, right? The Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. But sometimes we forget about the entire context. We forget about everything that this portion of Scripture tells us. And so it says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. And that W is capitalized, so that means... The Word is a person, just like I would call Trish or Davis or you, Bill, or William or Sheila. That references a person, so his name is the Word. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him. Now, if I think about creation, that's something fresh, new, alive. There's, again, no death in creation. It's a birth, the opposite of death. So it says here again that God created everything through him. Who's him? The Word. And the Word gave life to everything that was created. So again, thinking the Word... This is the announcement of Jesus' birth. He is life. Think back to that he is the bread of life. He is the su sustaining power of life. Even if you go to a place where people ha are having a very different, difficult time economically, they're poor, 
the very basis of their diet usually is bread. So Jesus is saying, I am the sustaining power of life. I am life. I created life. I sustain life. So we just have to remember that. Sometimes, you know, we'll take a portion here of Scripture and a portion over here, and we forget to look at the entirety of the context and what it truly means. So here he says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. So we've already got life, light, the creative power of God, and there's nothing about death there. There's nothing about destruction there. Nothing. So we have got to make sure that we know the God we serve and how he operates, what he's like. And so the God we serve, he brings life, he brings light, he's creative. And so in that, that next section says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So again, light, dark, life, death. And who is our God? He is light and he is life. And he's not only the creator of life, he's the sustainer of life. And not only our spiritual life, but our physical life as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so I want you to know who you serve, how he operates, and the good news that's attached to who our God is. Not just the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to seek and save that which was lost, but that he also desires for us to live in the way that reflects, in a portion of scripture we'll look at later, really his glory, the goodness of God. And so in that, I would like you to bump back to Exodus 3. Exodus 3. And just building on what we're seeing. When he says, I am the bread of life. We're dealing with Moses, but we're going to go back in time from the wilderness in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And this is when Moses meets God face to face through the burning bush experience. Remember, Moses was born, placed in a, a, a reed cradle or a papyrus cradle and put out into the river because all the Jewish babies, baby boys were being killed. Well, lo and behold, who finds him but the Egyptian princess? He is raised as a prince in the land, and at a certain time he comes to know. In fact, his own mother is the one who nursed him, kept him until a certain age, and then he was given back to the Egyptian princess. Well, when he recognized who he was, he tried to handle it in the flesh. Remember, he killed someone, and then he fled Egypt and went out into the desert, where he stayed 40 years. So when it was time, in God's time and his plan, he revealed himself to him and told him to go back to Egypt to set his own people free. So we're going to take a look at chapter 3 and verse 14. Now, if you're out in the wilderness, you've got sheep, and all of a sudden, a bush in front of you is a light, it's on fire, but it doesn't seem to be burning up. It's not as if there was a lightning strike, and it was burning, and you can see the embers, and it's, it's actually going away. It's being destroyed. 
<clears throat> the opposite happened here. And so what happened was, is that he's looking at this bush, and then it starts talking to him, giving him instructions. And in verse 14, it says, But Moses protested, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? <coughs> and God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign, that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship at this very mountain. <coughs> Trish, will you bring me a, a cough lodgings that's right there on my pew? <coughs> and it says this. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Because <coughs> remember, they were used to multiple gods. Not just one. <coughs> Not just the one true God. They wanted to know which God would be sending Moses. <coughs> I apologize. I think it's pollen. <coughs> he says, I am who I am. Remember, anytime you are speaking of yourself, anytime you're introducing yourself, hold on. <coughs> Sorry about that, folks. Anytime you're introducing yourself, like if I were to introduce myself, I would say, I am Stephanie Pack. That's the essence of who I am. That's my name. That's, that's how I'm called. <coughs> but in this situation, God says from this burning bush that's not being consumed, I am who I am. In other words, I existed before everything. This is who I am. This is what you know me to be. <coughs> I'm the very basis, the very center. So this scripture is always set apart as God's deity. It's showing him as God. I don't just walk around and say, I am. Right? I have a title, I have a name. It's very specific. Only God can say, because he existed, has always existed. There's never been a time when he doesn't exist. Says, he says, all he has to say is, I am. And in the book of John, you get seven different statements from Jesus that say, I am. <clears throat> We're looking at one of them. Another is, I am the good shepherd. I am the door, etc. And so in this, as Jesus uses this same verbiage, I am, he's declaring who he is. So you need to be aware of that. You need to know that. It's not just that. He told some nice stories, <coughs> told some parables, was getting one point across. But by his use of those two words, I am, that's his essence, his being. He's saying, I am deity. And so look with that at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. <clears throat> We're just going to make a link with all of these. 
because we don't just serve a God. We serve the God, the one true God, who we know is seen in three parts, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But we always have to understand that the difference in Christianity is that he is pre-existent, he's life-sustaining, and we believe that Jesus is God. Now, there are other religions around the world, Islam, Buddhism, several others, who believe that Jesus was a good man, <coughs> who believed Jesus was a teacher, who believed Jesus is the, a prophet. But no one besides those who've called upon the name of the Lord to be saved and call themselves Christians or little Christs believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was made flesh and came and dwelt among us, which is found later in that same chapter, John 1. So in that, if we take a look at John 10, John 10 and verse... 30. John 10 and verse 30. Actually, let's go back for some context. Now, <clears throat> at the beginning or the, about the middle of John 10, Jesus again, a whole scenario is being set up where Jesus claims to be the Son of God. So if we want to, we can start in verse 22. It says, it was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So people had begun to look to him, Jesus of Nazareth, as the potential Messiah who they had been waiting on for thousands of years. And this is what he says. Jesus replied, I have already told you. Remember the I am statements and other ones where he says, I and the Father are, <clears throat> are the same. And he says, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. In my Father's name. And then he goes on to say, But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Remember, we just read where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now he's revealing to them that he gives eternal life. And it says, And they will never perish. Who? His sheep will never perish those who follow after him. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Again, speaking of the deity of God. And it goes on to say, No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are what? One. The Father and I are one. So if you see the Father, and we see this in other portions of the gospel, you see me. <coughs> what the Father says, I say. 
what the Father tells me to do, I do. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These are all excerpts of what how Jesus responded to his disciples and the people who questioned him. So again, Jesus is the bread of life. Remember, it's easy to obtain. It sustains life. It's common all over the world. We could say it's universal. And then we talk about life. We're not just talking about our natural life. We're talking about the Zoe life of God. We're speaking of the fact that that's everything in our life that we need. He is Zoe. He is life to us. Which if we need to remind ourselves, all we have to do is go back to John chapter 1. Now, on the natural end of things, the reason why we get to where we get in John 6 is because of John 5. So if you take a look at John chapter 5, this is one portion of scripture where he actually does what? He's actually speaking to this whole entire group and what he's doing in John 5. He first claims to be God. And so if you look in verses 16, 17, and on, that is one of the first times who Jesus, quote-unquote, claims to be God. And then if you look over at the beginning of John chapter 6, you see naturally he feeds the 5,000. So I want to say is Jesus himself gave you, came to give you eternal life. That no one should perish. We know that from John 3.16, right? But he also is interested in sustaining our natural life. And so at the very beginning of John 6, you see him feeding the 5,000. So I want to say to you today, is not only is Jesus your light and your life, not only did he come to give us salvation, our spiritual life, He also came that he would sustain the life that he gave us. Remember, he created us. He formed us in our mother's womb. We'll take a look at that scripture. And he has plans for us, and he will sustain us through our entire life. So part of that, if we need sustenance, we all know that healing is part of that because very few people go through life and are never, ever, ever sick or come up against a virus or a bacteria or whatever else. And so we're going to take a look at John seven twenty seven, and I'm going to make that tie in. If Jesus says he is the bread of life, we know he is light in life. We know that he and the Father are one. In Mark 27, We're going to see 727, sorry. We're going to see something else. All right. This is the portion where Jesus is speaking to a Gentile woman. Remember, her daughter was very ill, and she had heard about the healing power of Jesus. And when she questioned Jesus, his response sounds kind of harsh. Like, you know, who am I to give bread to the dogs? Now remember, anyone who was outside of the the Jewish faith was considered like a dog. 
But the mother says, well, even the dogs get the, what, crumbs from the table. And here we're looking at this. Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. And then he says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Other versions say this, healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. If Jesus is the bread of life, and we know that God himself sustains life, if he says, this is the New Living Translation, the King James and a bunch of other versions actually say, healing is the children's bread. So I want you to know that as a part of life-sustaining power of God, that is our right as children of God, it is a benefit of our salvation, and it's a privilege that we can be healed. And so I'm going to give you four different scriptures that I want to speak to you about regarding if we are children of God, what causes us to be a child of God, and how does that operate, and what are the promises of God. So again, Genesis chapter 1, we've all looked there before, but in Genesis chapter 1, we see that the Lord says, let us make men in our image. So we're created in the likeness and image of God. So if I'm created in the likeness and image of God, I must be related in some way. If you look at me and you look at my eyes, and if you knew my father, you would go, oh, she has her father's eyes. If you look at the rest of me, the rest of my face and my countenance, someone would go, oh, I know you're Carol Pack's daughter. Why? Because I, my image and my likeness references back to my parents. And so I want you to know from the very creation of God that God himself, the, actually the trinity of God, said, let us make man in our image. That's the first time that we see him referencing self as a creator, as a father. Okay? So, we're made in his likeness and image. Number two, Psalm 139. And I already referenced this. But Psalm 139, I'm just going to read a portion of this to you. And it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Now, I'm just going to stop right here. And I don't know if your parents were like my parents, especially my father. But if I would go, how do you know? You don't know that. How do you know that? And my dad would say something like, I know you better than you know yourself. I've known you since you were born. I know what you're thinking. I know the way you think. I know what you do. It's natural. The same type of... characteristics are said of the Lord toward the psalmist. And the psalmist is referencing him as that kind of person. <coughs> says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. 
If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. I don't know if any of you, did you ever try to hide from your parents? Especially when you probably had done something you weren't supposed to do. And they always somehow knew where you would be. They knew your favorite hiding spots. This is what the psalmist is saying. Because dad knows. The father knows. It says, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Now listen to this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. The King James Version says, I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. (coughs) Says your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Says you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He is our creator. He is our father. Without him, we wouldn't have been made. And so, According to even this, the Old Testament, he is our father, we are his children. Okay, so two New Testament scriptures. Romans 8.17. Let's look at Romans 8.17. If someone ever questions whether you can call yourself a child of God. This is a scripture that I want you to write on your heart, get it down deep, because you can always take someone back here. Okay? So in this, let's begin in verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember. Now, when we every time we see remember in the Word, there is a reason why we're being told to remember. Because it might be easy to forget. We could get discouraged. We might be told it's not true. But this book of Romans makes it clear Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. That's current. That's present. That's not 
He'll heal you when you get to heaven. That's life-giving, sustaining power. So he's saying the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It says here, he will give life to your mortal body. So not are we talking about salvation and eternal life. We're talking about the sustaining life that we saw in John. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, so again, family, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the, by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, how do we get saved? Romans 10, 9, and 10 makes it very clear. How do we receive the Spirit of God living on the inside of us? How do we not only receive eternal life, but this life-sustaining power within us? Romans 10, 9, and 10. I just want us to be so clear, even to the point of where we can take someone and walk someone through and explain our salvation and our eternal life that's found in Jesus Christ, but that he just didn't save us to kind of hold us in limbo until either we die a natural death or he comes back for us, but he's saying he sustains our very life on this earth. I want us to get that and be able to lead someone to the knowledge that they too can be a child of God, a brother and sister, a family. So if we take a look at Romans chapter 10, it says, for Moses wrote, this is verse five, for Moses wrote or writes rather, That the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. If you broke one, you broke them all. It's not like, oh, well, I got like the Ten Commandments. I got nine out of ten, right? If you broke one, you broke them all. It says, but faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says, the message, what? The good news is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message, that good news, is the very message or good news of your faith. It says about faith that we preach. What do they preach? What's the good news for us, for others? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and what? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Remember that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You will be saved. And that's sozo. That's everything. Every aspect of salvation. It's not just eternal life. It's health. It's healing. It's provision. It's protection. Sozo covers all of that. It's not just ending up in heaven. All right, which is great. 
and wonderful. And if that's all that it were, I would be still rejoicing. But there's so much more to this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that we are to preach. And it says this, For it is by believing your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, he is the bread of life. He is life at the very core in essence. He, Jesus, the word, is the creator. We see how he not only fed those who followed after him naturally, but then in the very next chapter right there in John, he's talking about he desires to feed you in more than just a manna from heaven way, that he is the true bread given from heaven. Why? Because it's his father who's giving it. And we've gone all the way through here. His life is meant to sustain you, not just so that you get to heaven, but he desires for you to have everything you need to live your best life. So, in closing, I want you to take a look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter. And we're going to start in verse 3. It says, By His divine power. Whose divine power? God Himself. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The One who called us to Himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. I would want to encourage everyone under the sound of my voice, whether here in the church building or looking online, I want you to know this fact. It's so important for us to understand. It says, and because of his glory and excellent He has given us great and precious promises. So I want to encourage each one of us. Dig through. Find out what God promises you. I'm going to find out what God promises me. It says they are great and precious promises. We don't want to let any of them slip. And that includes living well in this life. Life. Light. Remember salvation. Sozo. Healing, health, deliverance, redemption, protection, provision. Everything we need in this life that pertains, the King James Version says, that pertains to life and godliness, he shall give to us. It says, these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. If you're sharing in the nature, he is your daddy. Just like I said, if someone looks at me, 
They might say, well, no, your eyes remind me of someone. They're referencing my father, Clyde Pack. But I smile, my hair, all of the rest, and just my natural, general demeanor. It's my mama. It's my mama. And so those great and precious promises that God has given, he's given them to us, his children. And so next week we're going to go a little bit farther, but I would encourage you this week, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you, be reminding you, what are the great and precious promises that you are giving to me, Lord? What is it that you desire for me to have in this life? And remember, we have a responsibility It's our gospel to preach. It's our gospel to put forth. Because if you look at Romans 10, 9, and 10 again, remember the very end of that tells us that we all have our part to play. And it says, But how can they call on him, they they being the ones who don't know, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, I just want to encourage all of us. Do we all get it right 100% of the time? No. Sorry, Bill. No, we don't. None of us. We No, no one person gets it right 100% of the time. So there will be opportunities where we might drop a, a precious promise. There might be opportunity, even for you or for me, for us to share the good news about that sozo life. Maybe no one's ever heard about the healing power of God. Maybe they haven't heard about the protection or provision of God. Maybe they haven't heard that he wants you to prosper, to have everything you need, and then to be able to give out of your abundance. Unless someone's told, they don't know. Additionally, if we don't ever tell people about Jesus and the great deal we get in accepting him and his finished work on the cross, then how are they going to know? How do they know what they're missing? Unless we, who already have received, we who are filled with the Spirit of God, we who have been given gifts if we don't open up our mouths. So I'm just saying again today, Jesus is the bread of life, not only for our eternal life, but for our sustaining life. He is the giver of life. And so I would just ask that this week, just ask again, as I said, ask the Holy Spirit to show you things that you may have never seen to open up the scriptures to you or even that you might see something you've never seen before because he desires not for you just to be born again, but he desires that we would become disciples of his. Matthew 28, for as an example, Mark 16. He wants us to become rooted and grounded, not only in what we believe, but he wants us to know him. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. That's what a father and a son or a father and a daughter do. You spend time with one another. You get to know each other. 
And I don't know about you, how I saw and perceived my father as a little girl was different than when I was a teenager, a woman in my 20s, 30s, 40s. And before my father passed away, I saw him in a more full aspect of who he was, his character, his personality. I could almost tell you what my dad would say because I knew him so well. That's my desire for us, that we would know our God so well that when we come up against something, when we come up against the enemy's strategies, when we come up against someone who doesn't believe the way we do, be like, nope, not my God. I know my God is this and this and this and this. He's light and life and provision and protection and healing and wholeness and redemption. He's good, not bad. He thinks good things for me. He's planned a good future for me. And you can just go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Amen. Well, let's pray and close out. And then uh, I'd really like to speak to the fact that if you don't know him, today is the day. Find a Bible. Look on your tablet. Look up in your phone. Romans 10, 9, and 10. And all you have to do is do exactly what it says there. That you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That you believe that He was raised from the dead. That He took my sin, your sin, so that we might have eternal life. That all you have to do is confess it with your mouth. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you. I repent for all that I've done. I'm going to turn around and go the opposite way. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to heal me. I'm asking you to sustain me. And Father, I believe that today you are seated at the right hand of the Father, that you're no longer in a grave. And Lord, I call upon you. I ask you to save me, deliver me, keep me. In Jesus' precious name. He wants to be your bread. He's already created you. Trust Him to do everything else with you and for you. And so if you pray that prayer or if you have further questions, would you just write in the comments or let someone here from the church know that we want you to not only hear about His salvation message, but we want you to live your best life because that's what He desires for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So thank you guys for coming. Uh, Bill, could we sing that last song again? I think that that would be a really, really good way to end out the morning before we receive the morning's offering.
again, we want to turn our eyes on Jesus, who is our bread of life. And I'll just uh, I'll look forward to seeing you all next week. But right now, Davis, would you come forward and pray over the offering? That would be awesome and wonderful. Amen. I am here. Is that playing back? It's all good. I got it.